0: All right, well, so we are in, we're in a sermon series. It's called Simple. Simple, and we're talking about this because life is not simple, right? Life is complex. Life is chaotic. Um, and in this series, we're trying to simplify things, just like Mike said. Um, and the problem that we have is not just in life in general, but it's also, there's a problem with some churches, because there's a lot of churches, frankly, that also make life complicated, Right? There are churches that give you a litany of things that you have to do, um, and they, they sort of pile on things to your life to make your life even more complicated. In addition to all the complication stuff that you have going on in your life, you need to get your life right if you want to know God. You, uh, you need to condemn all the sins that are in the culture and speak against those things so that the people out there will know that they're in trouble with God. Um, you have to tell people about Jesus uh, to get them to see that their objections to Christianity are empty. You need to figure out how to answer their objections. And if you can't, you're not a very good Christian. Um, and then if life wasn't busy enough, all of this adds, it's just even more burden. And when you put God on the, t- on the side of that, when you add God's name at the bottom of that, the burden is even worse because we feel this guilt that the God who is up there isn't really excited about us. In fact, it's really disappointed with us. And so this infinitely complicates our lives, makes it even worse. And so this series has been designed to try to strip away all of that and to replace it with a simple life in relationship with God, loving Him, loving others. And so here's what we've seen so far, um, just in this series review. Um, we saw first a simple gospel. And this is all about, it's, it's, we, it's not do, but it's done right we saw that jesus and his victory is the beginning and the end of the story right that the gospel is good news that jesus has done what we cannot do um and then we saw simple life you know it's not about others but it's about worrying about ourselves it's living that simple life minding our own affairs that god calls us to and then it's simple community where it's not isolation, but it's being with other people. We can't do this alone. And frankly, we need people who can come to us as life gets complicated to remind us of what's simple and what's important. And then we have a simple mission. We saw this last week where we're not arguing with people, but we're just sharing what Jesus has done in our lives. And that's what we're responsible for, is just talking about why it is that we're excited about Jesus, what it is that he's done in our lives. And so this makes life simpler. And today we're going to finish the series talking about God's commands. Okay. The commands of God, the commandments of God, the fact that God calls us to obey him in everything that he says. When you think about that, when you think about the number of the commands there are in the Bible, I think somebody counted up in just in the old Testament, there's 663 commands and you're like, Whoa, what happened to simple? Right. I know there's this summary, you know, that Jesus makes, but come on, like that's incredibly difficult. Um, I feel like what can happen is for us, I want to look at God's commands in general. I want to talk about the commands of God in general. And then I want to zoom in specifically on one commandment. Okay. There's just, I want to zoom in on one command as a test case for all the things that I want to share with you about God's commands. And I think if you see the commands, the way that they're designed, the way the Bible intends for us to hear them, you're going to find a simplicity and an excitement brewing in your heart and a desire to lean in to the commands of God, okay? And so the one commandment that we're going to look at is the eighth commandment in the top ten, okay? The eighth commandment says you shall not steal. And so we're going to look at that and use that as a test case as we walk through what the Bible has to say about the commands and how we are to relate to the commands. And so I'm going to read to you this command. Um, but I'm going to read to you from Exodus chapter 20, because that's when the Ten Commandments are given. And in Exodus 20, we're going to read verses 1 and 2, because those are the beginning, right before all the commands start to come. And then I'm going to read to you the Eighth Commandment. And so this is Exodus chapter 20. Um, if you want to take notes, you can look on the inside of your bulletin. There's a place to take notes. Uh, but the, the verses we're going to be looking at are going to be up here on the screen. And so I thought that was there. Okay, so this is Exodus 20. We're going to read verses 1 and 2, and then verse 15. Okay, this is God's word. So I want you to listen. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 15, You shall not steal. So this is, like I said, the eighth out of the Ten Commandments, and most people have heard of the Ten Commandments, even if you've never been to church before. You're like, yeah, I've heard of that. I've heard people talk about the Ten Commandments. Um, we need to understand first that what the Ten Commandments are. I want you to think about these in context. Okay, These are Ten Commandments that God is giving to the newly formed nation of Israel. Okay, They are gathered at the foot of a mountain. Okay, it's Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was the place where God gave the Ten Commandments. And what God is doing with giving these commandments, he's giving this law. The Ten Commandments are kind of like the Bill of Rights of the Constitution. God doesn't just give the Ten Commandments. He actually gives four chapters worth of commandments that follow the Ten. Um, And they go on. But what God is doing is that God is giving, in a sense, a constitution to his people. Okay? God is coming to them and saying, look, I am forming you as a nation, and this is going to be your constitution. And so the Ten Commandments are the way that God begins to describe how the nation's supposed to look. Okay? And so God wants the nation to look a certain way. God wants the nation to have a vibe, that it'll feel a certain way. He wants to fill this nation with people who live in a certain way, who act in a certain way. Um, And so he gives these ten commandments, and he says, like, these are the top ten. These are the things that I want you to be characterized by. Okay? Now, here's what's important. Here's what's important is that the commandments come after God reminds his people, of his promises and his grace. The commandments come after the good news of the gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, we could say it this way. Verse 15 comes after verses 1 and 2. Isn't that profound? The number 15 comes after the number 1 and 2. Right? You can write that down. 15 comes after 1 and 2. Why is that important? Well, because of what God says in verses 1 and 2. Before God gives any commandments, including the 8th commandment, before God gives any commandments, he reminds his people of two things, who he is and what he's done. He says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And so what God is doing here is he's saying, wait, you know, before I give you the commands, before I tell you what to do, I want to tell you who I am and what I've done. It's like, I am God, and I have rescued you from slavery. I am God, and I have set you free from bondage in Egypt. You were slaves there for 400 years, but now I've set you free. They have been crying out for help. they have been crying out, and God heard their cry and rescued them. They were slaves for generation after generation after generation after generation. And God set them free, and God wants them to know, hey, I'm the God who set you free. Before you hear the commands, before you get any sense of what I want you to do, I want you to know what I have done for you. This is important because the gospel always comes before the law, okay? The gospel always comes before the commands. God tells us what he's done for us before he asks us to do anything. And this, frankly, is backwards from the way that everybody thinks about this, right? We think that we have to do things in order to get the blessings of God. And God says, no, 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 that's the opposite of the way it works. God says, first I bless you, and then I ask you to follow me. And so these commands that are given, they are given to people who have been set free. These commands are given to people that have come to God, that God has come to, that God has rescued and saved them, and now he gives them commands. It's important for us because Jesus does the exact same thing with the church. That before we are to do anything, Jesus wants us to know that he has done everything. He lived the life that you and I should have lived, and he died the death that we deserve to die. And so we stand before God blameless with great joy. And Jesus comes to us and says, I am Jesus, your God, who has brought you not out of the land of Egypt, but I've brought you out of the land of your sin. I have set you free from bondage to your sin in my death and my resurrection." when the commandments come to the people of God, they address the people of God as people who have been forgiven and set free. Even in our worship service, right? We had a time where we confessed our sins, right? We had a time where we heard about God's amazing grace, where God pronounced forgiveness over us. We were reminded of our forgiveness. And then comes the sermon. God's first word, even in our worship service to us, is a word of grace grace. And gospel, freedom, and forgiveness. And so whatever the Bible tells us to do in the sermon comes to people who have already been set free, to people who don't, you're not trying to earn your salvation, but you are living and walking because you've already been saved. And so, what does this mean? Well, this means that the commands themselves, they're addressing God's people. They're addressing Christians. And so, for those of you who are here and you're not Christians, Guess what? You get a pass today. You honestly get a pass. Like this commandment not to steal, this is actually not written by God for you. Because this is God writing to His people. This is God writing. God doesn't call people to do things that He hasn't already blessed. And so you can you get a chance to sort of like look in from the outside and watch how God treats His people. Um, and you may find that you want to become one of those people as you see the way that God addresses his people and the way that God thinks about the commands. And so I want to ask the question, so thinking about stealing, let's dive in and just ask ourselves, like, what exactly does this mean? Right? What does it mean not to steal? Okay, I think about that for a second. It means don't take things that belong to others. Right? That's what stealing is. It's taking something that belongs to others. There's lots of ways that we can do this. I mean, there's set shoplifting, right? Which I've done a bunch of times in the past. Got caught once. Um, a lot of times, I didn't get caught. But I mean, so there's shoplifting. We think about stealing that way. Um, you can think about stealing from. I think about the workplace. You know, we steal time. We steal money from our company. Uh, we can steal supplies. Um, think about stealing. Um, there's lots of ways that you can think about this. It's, it's taking things that belong to others that don't belong to you. Um, there are times that we, we lie and we steal credit for things that we haven't done. Um, and so, these are just some of the ways that we steal. And One of the things that our confession teaches, the Westminster Confession of Faith, it talks about the the Ten Commandments, and it says that whatever God tells us to not do something, God is also implicitly telling us to do the opposite. Okay, so if the command says "Do not steal," "You shall not steal," then we also need to do the opposite of stealing. Okay, and so think about this: What's the opposite of stealing? could be giving, right? Being generous with other people. Right? Instead of taking from others, it would be giving to others. Um, another way to think about it would be instead of stealing from other people, you might protect the possessions of others. Right? To help them protect their stuff. So that not only are you not taking it, but you're helping them not to be stolen from. And so, um, so these are things that, that I think are involved in this command not to steal. It's, don't take from others. And then it's protect the things of others. Champion the security of other people and their things. And then, and then to be generous with other people. And I want to ask the question, why is this wrong? Okay, why is it wrong to steal? Okay, what, what's the why underneath the commandments of God? Um. And there's lots of ways to answer that. There are lots of different perspectives that people have, even depending on their faith commitment. Depending on what you believe about God may or may not factor into why you might think it's not good to steal. Um, I think that for Christians, we don't steal because stealing is not something that God does. Okay? Um, The commandments that come to us are actually reflections of who God is and what God does. They're commandments of what God is like and what God doesn't do. And so this idea is that God doesn't steal, right? God is incredibly generous. God protects the possessions of others. And so the commands themselves are actually reflections of the character of God. And so what does this mean? Well, this means... We can look at this. It's one of the things you can write down. Um, that God's commands, first, they help us to know God better. I don't know if you ever thought about it like this before, but the commandments help us to know God better. They teach us what God is like. They teach us the way that God is in relationship with people on earth. So there's a second way to understand the commands. The commands also um, invite us to be like God. Okay, they don't just help us to know God better, but they invite us to be like God. The idea of obedience is more than just being a good person. There's lots of people from lots of different faith perspectives and lots of different even non-faith perspectives who would say, yeah, you should be a good person. But that's not what the commands are about for a Christian. It's not what the Bible says the commands are about. Actually, commands invite us to be like God. Okay? Obedience is a chance for us to actively live like God, to act the way God acts, to uh, just to be the kind of person that God is. It's 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 a way to display Jesus in the world. Um in the Roman Empire back when the New Testament was written, Uh, You had Caesar who was in charge, and Caesar would actually erect these monuments, statues of himself. He would put these images of himself all throughout the empire. And why did he do this? Well, he did this all over the place so the people would know whose empire this was and who was in charge. Well, our obedience to the commands of God make us images of the God who is this way. And so our obedience actually displays God's image. So our obedience is an image that God uses to remind other people. It's like we are these images of God placed throughout God's world to remind everybody who's in charge and whose world this is. To me, that's extraordinary. I mean, obedience, even obedience is something like don't steal, right? It sounds... Ordinary. It sounds like it's not a big deal because everybody knows it's wrong to steal, so what's the big deal? But actually, when we obey because we love God, then we are erecting an image of Jesus in the world. Our obedience to the eighth commandment fills the world with the generosity and the protecting influence of God. We become these lights in the world. And then it goes deeper. Um, The commands don't just invite us to be like God, but the commands invite us to commune with God. This goes to another level. And this makes obedience for Christians so much different than anyone else. Because again, it's not just about being a good person, but the commands are a chance for you in the moment when you obey, they are a chance for you to actually live life with God. Okay, this means the commands, they're not a way to earn your way into the family. They're actually, they're a way to spend time with the family father. The commands are a way for you to spend time with God. Okay, hear me here. Every time we obey God, we are leaning into our relationship with Him. Okay, now you might not think about this. You might not realize this, but I want to invite you. That's what the commands do. They invite you to actually think about your obedience as an expression of your relationship with God. When you do this, every time you are communing with God. So your obedience is, in effect, like a quiet time. Okay? Some of you, are really good at spending time reading your Bible and praying. Some of you, it's a habit. It's something that you do. Some of you derive a lot of life from it. You feel very close to God. Uh, And there's some of you where it's really difficult. The idea of reading the Bible feels like a chore. Every time you think about it, you kind of like, oh, man, I'm not really sure if I want to do this, or gosh, what am I going to read? And then you read, and you're like, I don't really get anything out of it kind of want to move on with my life. And you feel like a second-class Christian, don't you? Because you hear these stories of people who spend hours reading their Bibles, right? You hear stories of people that spend 30 minutes praying and you're like, I can't even pray two minutes without running out of stuff to talk about. And you feel like the second-class Christian. You feel like, well, I'm not really spending time with God, I guess, because I'm not doing these things that I'm supposed to be doing when I spend time with God. Well, your obedience is an invitation for you to actually spend time with God. When you, think about the eighth commandment, when you refuse to steal because Jesus is in your life, you are spending time with God. When you're in the office and you are tempted to clock out early, when you are tempted to cheat on your expense reports, when you are tempted to lie so that you can get a little bit more money or a little bit better reimbursement, Um, every time you're tempted to steal, when you choose not to because you love Jesus, when you, I mean, this takes an action, this takes an act of faith, okay? You actually have to say to yourself, God, I want to do, I don't want to do this because I love you. When you do that, you are spending time with God. You are communing with God in that moment. Does that make sense? And I would say that is just as significant a moment of communion as if you were to spend time reading your Bible or praying. Because the purpose of reading your Bible and praying is to connect with God. It's to experience a relationship with Him. And the commands show us exactly how we can do that when we're done reading our Bible or not reading our Bible. The commandments are opportunities for us every day in every part of our lives to say, oh God, you're here. That's right. (laughs) I forgot. Man, I actually want to live my life with you here. God, I want to honor you with what I do. I want to honor you with what I say. I want to honor you with what I think. And when I think about you this way, when I bring you into this moment, my obedience is now... Communion. So, the last point I want to make here is that the commands make us also, they make us life giving. Okay? There's a progression here that you can see. Right? The commands help us to know God better. They invite us to be like God. They invite us to then commune with God. And what happens to us is that we become life giving. Okay? We become life giving. What do I mean by that? Well, Um, our church, as a church, we want to renew people so that we can go out and renew the city of San Diego and beyond. Okay, this is what the vision of our church is. And the commands help us with this because they make us life-giving. Think about this for a second. So over here we have the life, the person, the heart that steals. Okay, let's talk about this for a second. The person who steals steals. Um, is someone who is not just thinking or feeling, but taking action to take things from other people, right? You see something that you want, you take it for yourself. Um, You think that you deserve more from your company, and so you steal from your company. Um, You might be in a relationship, and you steal from that relationship. You steal affection. You You don't return it. Um, but you know, we, we steal from people. And this person steals from people. And, and what happens is that this person becomes maybe not a huge version of this, but like kind of a vacuum. Like someone who is sucking from the people around them. Like That's what stealing does. You're taking things that belong to others. And when you do that, when you do that, you are like a vacuum, like a little tiny black hole, right? Where the universe around you, you're sort of moving through the universe, and you're just sort of sucking from people, right? This is life-taking. Like, this is people who live as though, and so underneath this, yes. So why, well, why is it that people do this? Well, they're acting as though they're more important than the people around them. They're acting as though they deserve it. They're really acting as though they're kind of the center of the universe. That's how they're living. They might not think that way. They might not say it that way. But when you steal, that's what you're doing. You're acting like you're more important than the person that you're taking from. And so you become this little vacuum, this little black hole where you're sucking life from others. Uh, You're taking from others. I mean, this is why stealing is wrong. Right, this is why it's not just wrong, but it's bad. It's bad for you. It's bad for the community that you're in. It's bad for the relationships that you're in. Um, and what can happen to us is that, it, and it usually starts small. We start taking little things, and then our we sort of get a tolerance, like a drug. You know, we get a tolerance where it's not a big deal anymore. And we and we take more and more, um, and we do this sometimes because we think we deserve it. Sometimes because it's kind of fun to see what we can get away with. Uh, there's a verse in the Proverbs that says stolen bread is sweet. I remember reading that passage about a year ago and I thought, oh yeah, it is. Right When you steal something, there's something, there's something exciting about that. Um, and so sometimes it's just the, the, the ability to see what we can get from other people, to see that we can exert the sort of power and bring things to us that draws us to this. But But this is the kind of Person that we become. We become this like inward focused, sucking in kind of person. Um, This is the opposite of the character of God. This is the opposite of who God is and what God is like. God, on the other hand, is a God who doesn't steal, God is incredibly generous. God opens himself up. God is like the reverse of a vacuum, right? God is is this person who opens himself and unfolds himself in love and in generosity and in grace. Um, God spills out and floods out of himself into the world, into our lives, into the lives even of people who hate him. The only thing that God absorbs from us, like what does Jesus show us? The only thing that God absorbs is sin. Like as Jesus walked on the earth, he was this walking, life-giving person. Like if you were to see Jesus, you would feel blessed. You'd walk away feeling like you were made full. You would walk away feeling like you were more of who you were supposed to be than than when you first encountered him. And so Jesus does this, like this unfolding, this this pouring out, this, this gracious, extravagantly gracious, abundant benevolence to others. And this is what God wants for you. This is the story that God is trying to tell in your life. Um. As I've thought about this, I think about the things that I steal from others. I think about the things that I try to suck from other people. And when I think about myself this way, I think, man, like I don't really like this guy very much. And Jesus calls us. He calls us to become life giving. The commands themselves are a calling for us. They make us life giving. They put us on the path where if we walk in this, not only do we get to be like God, not only do we get to commune with God, but then our life becomes this opening up, this unflowering, this not unflower, but this flowering of life that gives to others. And this is what God wants in the world. Um, God wants people that do this. And God actually wants people who do this in the name of Jesus. Because God doesn't just want to fill people, doesn't fill the world with people who are generous, but God wants people to fill the world with generosity and abundance and grace and forgiveness and benevolence so that people would see that He is the source of all of that. God wants us to do this so that we would demonstrate and display to the world what God was like when he came to earth, when he was human. So how do we do this? I mean, where do we get this ability from? Like Some of you maybe want to be this way, and you don't know how. Um, some of you are Christians and you're like, man, I really want to be this way but this person is much more the person who's present with me day in and day out or in in this one relationship I have a hard time not taking Um, I feel like I just take and take and take and take and take ouch I just thought about a relationship in my life that I wasn't thinking about where that's what I do and I need to turn from that God save us, right? Um, how do we get here? How do we become this person? I think that the way that happens is first and foremost, we need to see that Jesus was this person for us. That Jesus came and he walked this earth and though we weren't even born, though we weren't even alive. Jesus had our names on his heart. Jesus had our names in his mind. He was thinking of us as he lived his life, never taking, but always giving. Absorbing our sin on the cross and dying for it, so that we could know that the damage that we've done, that this vacuum and black hole taking and stealing, the ugliness that we've brought into this world, Jesus paid for. He died for it. The wrath of God was poured out on sin in Jesus. And he died to set us free. And that's what he's done for us. And this work that Jesus does for us, he then begins to work into us. And in Ephesians 4, we see this really clearly. This is Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. This is what happens to people when they become Christians. That we put off... You put off your old self, which belongs to your former matter of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And so, actually, the Bible has a name for this person, this part of you, this part of me. It's our old self. And we, the Bible says that we wear this old self kind of like a coat, you know, and maybe it's that familiar jacket that you like to put on. Um, the Bible says we take this person off. We take this, this man, this woman off, this old self this old self that belongs to our former manner of life, this old self that is corrupt through deceitful desires. Right? We've been deceived into this. So we take this off when we become Christians. And it says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and you've put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so Jesus takes this coat off of us. And then he walks us over. He, he meets us and he says, here, I want you to wear something. And he gives us his own coat. He gives us his own heart. He gives us his own righteousness, his own holiness. He gives us his own character. The new self that we become when we become Christians is Jesus in us. And so what's exciting about this is that when we become Christians, this happens to us. When you believe in Jesus, God forgives your sins, but then God also takes off your old self and gives you a new self. He gives you the self of Jesus. And so you become selfless. You become generous. Not because that person is generous. Like, don't try to fix this person, okay? Just kill it. Kill him, kill her. This person was crucified with Jesus. As real as Jesus' death on the cross was, this person is dead. And you can remember that that person is dead and not let it have control over you. But instead, wear the new self of Jesus. And you'll be recreated after the likeness of God. And this then applies, just a few verses later, he applies this to the eighth commandment. Um, in verse 28, it says, let the thief no longer steal, right? That's old self stuff. Stealing's for the old self. But rather, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And so what we see here is that in Christ, with this old self gone and the new self come, we become brand new that we who were thieves stop stealing. But it's not just that we stop doing what the old self did. We actually become like Jesus. We do honest work. We work hard so that we can provide for our needs and even have enough to share with someone else. And so the gospel, Jesus, um, Jesus is in the business of taking thieves and making them renewed, generous life-giving people. Jesus is in the business of taking black holes and filling them so much with his abundant grace that they become people who want to give life to others. What if the whole world was full of people like this? What if your family was full of people like this? What if our church was full of people like this, who were internally compelled to want to resist the idea of stealing from others, of taking what doesn't belong to us, and were so compelled by the love of Jesus that we wanted to become life-giving. What if our church was so full of people that saw the commands like this as opportunities to know God better and to walk with him and to commune with him? What if our church was full of people who when they came to a life group during the week somebody said, "So, how is how's your time with God been?" And they were able to say, well, you know what? I haven't been reading as much lately because it's been really busy and difficult for me, but I've been spending time with God in my obedience. And I've been able to do some neat things at work. Our vision as a church is that San Diego would be renewed as a city. And this is how it happens. This is how it happens. It's, it's people just like us who are trying to live the simple life, trying to follow Jesus, receive the life he's given us, and then give that life to others. I would invite you this week to just pick one or two of the commands of God that that show up in your life on a regular basis and think about them like this. Think about them as these opportunities to know God better, for you to be like God and to commune with Him and give life to others. Let's do this and see how this simple life where we're worried about ourselves and minding our own affairs, let's see what we can do in terms of meeting God throughout this week. Pray with me. Jesus, thank You that Your commands are so much more than arbitrary rules. Thank you that in all the commands we can see who you are and what you're like. Thank you even more for obeying the commands when we did not. And for renewing our understanding. Jesus, we confess that we just don't think about the commands this way. So often we're tempted to think that you just want to steal our joy and make us not want to have any fun and cause us to live these sort of stoic and austere lives. We confess that to you. But now we see. We see that your word is life-giving. And we want this. Help us this week to obey you. Not because we have to, but because we want you and we want this. Make us life-giving people. And meet us in our obedience, so that our obedience would become communion with you. And Jesus, for those who are here and aren't Christians, I pray that you would, you would astonish them and help them to see that there's so much more to life than being a good person. We love you. We pray that you would walk with us. In Jesus' name, amen. We have now a time we're going to receive our offering. In a moment, the ushers are going to come. And so take a moment and get ready if you're going to be giving today to present to God his tithes and your offerings. I know that most of you don't give now. You give online during the week, and that's terrific. Um, Take this time, though, and reflect on what you've heard. Ask Jesus where he wants you to apply this to your life this week. Um, and as the baskets come, make sure if you have a connection card to drop that in the basket as it goes by as well. Ushers come. Receive our offering.